The behavioral experts who research and study hate crimes indicate those persons who commit them tend to do it for thrill-seeking, thinking they are defending a religion or country, seeking revenge, or see themselves as being on a mission at war against others. No matter their misperceived reasoning, the larger general community must strongly proclaim that hate crimes are completely unacceptable. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Additional studies reveal these crimes tend to take the form of criminal intimidation, vandalism, or simple assault being done principally because of another person's race or religion. On this edition, we continue sharing insights regarding hate crime prevention. Our guest again is the executive director of the Anti-Defamation League Mountain States region, Mr. Scott Levin. Yeah, and I think that we also have to recognize, again, going back to the First Amendment, which I'm so fascinated and so thankful for is, is, you know, among the things that people are guaranteed the right to do under our Constitution is to march, is to protest, is to associate with other people and use their free speech to to ask for change. And, you know, does that mean that um, the people that get out of hand and that vandalize or assault or do anything like that are free to do so? Of course not. And they deserve whatever criminal punishment that that, that they get. Um, but I think that the act of people coming forward, like Black Lives Matter, did to advocate for again, well, to advocate against the systems of racism that are out there. Is those are things that we should be, you know, relishing in America, not not opposing. Are you seeing a contrast? In these types of incidents and crimes, metro versus suburban versus rural, and when I say rural, I'm probably thinking about Wyoming, which is a part of your territory, and the thing that happened happened with Matthew Shepard there. Are we seeing a contrast? Is there more in those areas than than metro, or is it largely a a metropolitan area-driven thing because it's so many people? I haven't studied it to know for exact, but my impression from what I've reviewed of it is it probably happens uh, more more obviously in the more urban and larger centers, and that has to do with that's where more people are. So, uh, you know, just by way of example, uh, Wyoming, which is one of our states in the Mountain States region of the ADL, mm-hmm. um, for which I'm the director, there are less black people, there are less Jews, there are as they say, a fortiori, there is uh, less hate crimes because there are less targets uh, yeah. for it. Um, but look, I, I, I think that the the problem is endemic across the country, especially when we think in terms of hate incidents that are going on. I don't think it's localized to any one place. I, I, what I do think, though, is that those people that are threatened by increasing numbers of people of color, Latinos, um, and others that are in this country are probably feeling that more when they have to see and deal with it every day. Colorado has a high level of white supremacist activity, apparently, too. Are you seeing that, too? And No, I, w- I wish we could blame on that. We've, we've actually tracked and we've had just an increased amount of white supremacist activity going on in Colorado. But it does follow the trend across the country. They've uh-huh. become much more emboldened. There's a lot of flyering that goes on, you know, where the, uh, posters, uh, putting notes uh, in bags and throwing them out onto people's uh, driveways. 
um, putting stickers up around town, all of them sort of advocating this white uh, supremacist view that somehow they're under threat and that they need to, um, you know, sort of make their stand, some of it being very intimidating. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this sort of great replacement theory yeah. that is being discussed, but, you know, as, as you know, that really is this, this thought that somehow that, that uh, white people are going to be replaced by people of color and that crosses over into a lot of what we're looking at because undergirding that theory is, is they think that the Jews are behind that. You may know that it, at the Tree of Life synagogue shooting, the horrible thing that took place mm-hmm. in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah the, the person, that, the perpetrator of that had, uh, was very upset because um, he thought the Jews were bringing in people of color they're uh, uh, one of the great immigration uh, entities and organizations in the Americas, HIAS, which originally stood for the Hebrew Immigrant Assistance Society. Uh-huh. And, you know, today they help all immigrants come into the country. And the Robert Bowers, the perpetrator of that heinous act, you know, was, was upset with Jews that they were somehow uh, degrading the country. And that scene, by the way, is what gets picked up when you, you know, with the, uh, uh, the later at the synagogue shooting in Poway, California. But even beyond that, it gets picked up in the El Paso shooting at the supermarket against yeah. Latinos. And it made its way around the world to Christchurch when oh, the uh, perpetrator there went and shot up a mosque. So, you know, this sort of thinking that uh, white people are somehow – uh, at risk right now, I think undergirds that, and Colorado, you know, hasn't escaped that kind of thinking. I guess when people get a lot of flyers, they think, "Oh, this must be a big organization that's doing this. They got the money to pass out this <laughs> stuff and all that." Is this a sizable organization? But it's just a few people who are trying to make it look like they're bigger than what they are. Yeah, I think one of the great that isn't that kind of what terrorism is, right? It's, it's how do we terrorize people uh, with, you know, the smallest amount of effort to do that. And um, I think that that is absolutely true. It depends which organizations we're talking about. None of them are humongous and certainly not as large as they report themselves to be. Uh, sometimes it is two or three guys driving around in their beat up, you know, van uh, dropping things off and, and trying to make themselves look uh, bigger than they are. Yeah. But there are also some organizations that are, you know, gaining, gaining strength. Um, uh, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, some of those that are out there uh, certainly now are following, have followers uh, across the country that are going on. Again, their numbers are not humongous, but their impact has really been large as we've seen. Yeah, yeah. I was reading that uh, uh, some good old researchers doing their PhDs, of course, they came up with four reasons for hate actions that they could find after interviewing a ton of people. Thrill-seeking. Thrill-seeking? Yeah, just the idea that they can do it and get away with it. Defense, defending turf, religion, retaliatory, getting revenge. Mission uh, uh, defenses, uh, crusaders, got to be at war with everyone else. Have you seen anything... uh, that speaks to the psychology of hate actions uh, 
that these guys or ladies are perpetrating? Yeah, I think that um, the researchers are on to something. I've I've also seen, for instance, um, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Christian Picciolini. Um, Christian is a former skinhead and was very powerful in the organization and rejected it long ago and now has uh, a wonderful organization to try and help people transition out of this, these, these hate groups and stuff that are going on among the things that he also identifies, which I think is really um, spot on is, is that some people join these groups because it's a way of gaining their identity and their inclusion. So for instance, you know, yeah. if you are a person that's a little bit on the outside of life and, you know, you don't have a whole, you weren't the person that was on the baseball team or the, uh, or participated in your youth group or other kinds of things that are out there, you can really gain an identity in these uh, movements that are out there and feel very uh, empowered and invigorated to act. So I think there's some of that, but that is really more the people that are on the more extremist lone kind of uh, actors that are out there. Yeah. I think right now we're fine. The, the thing that worries me is not those people as much as it is um, the people that are, you know, ex-military and uh, uh, law have been affiliated with law enforcement, yeah. um, uh, otherwise involved in their po political parties. Um, those things that are, are really acting out now with some of this, um, white supremacists and extreme extreme behavior. Um, in the few moments we have left, how about youth? I think you have some programs there that work with youth in schools that, well, parents need to know about, and some parents really need to know about it because, uh, you know, I, I've been a parent too. I know the kids will do more of what you do reflecting your actions than what you say. So, you can tell them not to do it, but if you're doing it, they're going to go do it, too. So is there something yeah. new we have to do or getting to younger grade levels to at least plant the seeds of a contrasting viewpoint or at least go find out about something else uh, that their parents are not going to say anything about? They're just going to act it out and the kid's going to reflect it. That's right. Yeah, well, I mean, as I mentioned, we have this wonderful – initiative called No Place for Hate. It's in 76 schools uh, across uh, our region, primarily here in Colorado. Uh -huh. And this, as I said, is really about trying to build a culture of respect for each other that's going on and to counter this bias and bigotry that is so prevalent in our mainstream right now. I, I think another thing that we're going to have to do, and it's something that we're just starting to look at, is this, you know, we have to really look, instill in our young people the importance of the democracy and what it means. Because yeah. right now, I, I just think that our democracy is under attack. And if we can't, um, you know, if our youth aren't, you know, properly protected from some of these attacks, um, it doesn't bode very well for us. Yeah, yeah. That is, so that's something that's I'm beginning to give a lot of thought to. Is, is there one or two things that came out of the meeting on a Tuesday that you could share with us, which the audience could probably uh, need to know about the responding to anti-Semitism and interfaith call to action that just took place on Tuesday? Yeah, this past uh, Tuesday night, 
following the terrible tragedy that took place down in Colleyville, Texas, uh, we helped bring the community together. Um, I think that for Jewish people, but for anybody to think that what happened on that Saturday morning uh, for Jews, it was their Sabbath or Shabbat services, that somebody could come in and take, uh, you know, breach the sanctity of worship space and take people hostages was just horrible. Just like what happened at the uh, Mother Emanuel Church down in Carolina. Yeah. Um, And we we all need to stand up. That should be the most sacred of spaces and, 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 and the place that is really people should feel safe and secure with. And because that impacted our community strongly on Tuesday night, uh, we were able to quickly bring together people from the government, like the governor and the attorney general and state legislators, the police chief. But also we brought together representatives from the Muslim, Christian, Sikh, Hindu faith to be able to offer their words of support. And I have to tell you, it was very comforting. And one of the things just I'm still blown away by is um, I heard that we had over 8,500 screens that tuned into this virtual forum. So if there's 8,500 screens, you know, there's there's 15,000 people or or some large number. That's usually the case. That's right. And I think what was amazing about it wasn't that we were able to bring everybody together to do this. That was nice. But what was amazing about it was it was clearly something that people needed um, for that many people to tune into it. And so I'm just very, very grateful to um, not just the wonderful interfaith speakers and government officials that we had participating in it, but just that the entire community turned out so so well for it. The continuing fight to end the rise of hate crimes in Colorado has been our key necessary focus on this edition with Mr. Scott Levin, Executive Director of the Anti-Defamation League Mountain States Region. We do thank him again so much for his time. Information and actions you can take to prevent hate or to support the work of the Anti-Defamation League is available online at their website, mountainstates.adl.org. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Get vaccinated for yourself and your family's health. Mask up and keep your distance when going out. And we do appreciate you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.